The Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast is with you to talk through what you're watching, listening to, and reading. What you need to check out this weekend, what you can skip next, it's all fair game. For pop culture in high spirits, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. My name is Katherine Heine, and my new story collection is called Games and Rituals. Katherine Heine has a signature take on humor that has stuck with me for years. Lifelike and biting at times, her most recent short story collection, Games and Rituals, is just as delightful as her previous novels. I recently spoke with Katherine Heine about how real-life-inspired aspects of her stories, how humor is a sign of love, and more. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. So we have visited before about your novels. I, I know I read Standard Deviation, but I think we've only spoken about Early Morning Riser. But as you mentioned, you know, Games and Rituals is a collection of stories. And I guess I want to ask first about writing short stories versus long fiction. I've often heard that short stories are more difficult to write than novels. Is that true for you? Well, I started my writing life as a poet And um, I think I did that because poems are short and you could keep control of them better. And then I switched to short stories. But even then, I wrote very short stories before I got more experience as a writer. And for a long time, I had a block about writing a novel. And I was like, I can't write a novel. And as soon as I sort of decided that, then I began writing more short stories than I knew what to do with. And then some of those short stories like my entire first book of short stories, they don't have plots. They're just character development. So it was easy to turn some of those into novels because I'd already developed the characters. So that's how both my novels came from short stories. Oh, interesting. And then when I finished Standard Deviation, my first novel, I wrote a whole bunch of stories very quickly because I was kind of missing it. And then... I wrote my second novel and then I finished the story collection and it's harder than a novel in a way because each story you're starting out fresh and having to introduce the characters and understand them and hear how they talk and it sort of moves in like fits and starts but it's also very satisfying because when you finish a short story, it's like, boom, you have something. And when you finish a chapter, you have something too, but you still don't have anything to like do with it until you can finish the whole book. So I feel like that was maybe the least articulate thing anybody's ever said about the difference between <laughs> stories and novels. Um, Lori Moore has this great quote about how a short story is a love affair and a novel is a marriage. And I think it's like a short story is a party and a novel is a family reunion where you get up and you have to see everybody in their bathrobes the next day. (laughs) And I guess I'm also curious about the collection. What makes a collection? Were you looking for a certain theme? Are there, you know, stories that you considered that didn't make it into this collection? Um, There were a couple that we cut just because they seemed very different from the ones that were in there. I sort of realized when it was over that I like to write about teenagers a lot. I like to write about being a teenager. I like to write about having teenagers. 
I think the world is, you know, uncertain place, but a certainty is that teenagers are always going to make like completely bonkers decisions. And so I always find them interesting to write about. And I think there's also a lot in the collection about how I, I don't like to write about the beginning of relationships. I don't think I do that very well. And I like to write about the mills and the ends. And sometimes I like to write about when it's over, but there's still a connection and what that connection might be. So I think a lot of the stories in the collection deal with that particular dynamic. That's always very interesting to me. We recently spoke with Jenny Jackson about her book, Pineapple Street, and she is your editor. And I want to play something that she said about you. Oh, okay. It's just under a minute. Here we go. I do think that unintentionally I've sort of studied at the feet of these masters for 20 years, and I've learned so very much from them. Catherine Heine, who wrote Early Morning Riser, who you've spoken to, is one of the absolute funniest writers that I know. And I think I learned a lot about building a joke from Catherine Heine. Catherine has this wonderful way of making her humor so character-based. You know, she, she lets you really, really get to know who someone is, and then they say the exact thing you know they're going to say, and it just hits as so funny because she's made them so completely knowable to you. And and also, I just think that she's wonderful at um, the sort of absurd comedy of domestic life, which is what I love and what I, I know that I was trying really hard to put into Pineapple Street. So I think that in those ways, it helped me so much to work with these amazing writers so I wanted to um, talk. She's so nice. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to talk about your humor that she was talking about because, you know, the way you slide in snide comments is, you know, sometimes laugh out loud funny, but it's also so truthful at the same time. And we could cite so many of your stories, but one that comes to mind is um, it's in the story Cobra, which features a couple, Rachel and William, and Rachel is implementing the KonMari method of decluttering her home. And here's a quote, William had begun to worry that he no longer sparked joy in his wife and that she would give him to goodwill. And then later, when Cobra came home from yoga, he didn't tell her how much he liked the new sock drawer. He didn't say a word about it because, well, marriage. So I guess I'm wondering where where do you think, where does your wittiness and sense of humor come from? And, and how do you balance it with real human concerns, like in this case, the fear of a failing marriage? Um. Well, I think that I'm sort of insecure and I'm worried that nobody will be reading if I'm not putting jokes in there all the time. Like sometimes I, you know, when I read like Ann Tyler, I'm like, wow, she's really funny, but she's not doing it over and over and over again. Like maybe I should be more like her, but then I get insecure and I start adding in the jokes. And I think that telling somebody a funny story or saying this happened and it made me think of you, I think that's a form of love. So like somebody telling me something that will make me laugh just makes me so, so happy. And when I first moved to London with my husband, who was my boyfriend then, I read High Fidelity by Nick Hornby and Bridget Jones' Diary by Helen Fielding in back to back in the first week. And that made just this huge impression on me. I was like, those are the kind of books I want to write. So it's always been my goal. And um, I have 
a friend who bought the Marie Kondo book and then lost it in her house because <laughs> their house is so cluttered. And I was just, that made me so, so happy that I bought the book and started reading it. And then I started decluttering our house. And my husband said that thing about like, am I going to be put out next for not sparking joy? And I was like, well, no worries. Cause you just sparked huge joy <laughs> by giving me the opening of that story. And I think that was the first story that I wrote when lockdown happened. I had a lot of ideas for stories, but I couldn't write. I would just sit down to write and nothing would happen. So I made notes for a lot of stories. And I think that the Marie Kondo story is the first one I wrote when sort of the fluency came back at the keyboard. You're writing really captures the multifaceted aspects of human nature. You know, no one is all good or all bad. And, you know, for instance, the conservative father and his bittersweet relationship with his daughter and the suicide hotline operator who has an affair with her colleague's husband and the bridesmaid who kisses the bride's father. So talk to me about writing layered characters who cannot be so simply categorized. Well, I think that flawed characters are more interesting. I think fiction where everybody's making sensible decisions and getting along all the time is probably not very interesting to read. My dad had very extensive hearing loss and I saw on, of all places, the real Housewives of Beverly Hills that they have these, I think they're called phonic hearing aids that are like computerized and like if you have a bad ear it takes the sound around to your good ear so I made this appointment with my dad the next time I visited I took him there it was like four appointments and he could hear so well and then I mean like four months later he was eating cashews and he had taken out his hearing aid and put it on the table and he he ate the hearing aid thinking it was cashew he spit it out. Everybody was like, did he have to go to the ER? And he spit it out. And then I took him back to the audiologist and they were like, oh, no problem. It's under warranty. And I was like, is this not the most hilarious thing you've ever heard? And they were like, no, it happens all the time. But I was like, I think it's really funny. I want to write a story about it. And then I don't know if this is a spoiler, but my dad died in 2020. And then when I was writing the story, it seemed like that was how it would end. But he was not as conservative as the father in the story is, but he was pretty conservative. And we often clashed swords on that. But he was also like a terrific father and so loving and so supportive. So I think I was trying to capture some of that. And I mean, the whole thing when you start parenting your parents is just like so weird anyway. And actually, I started the Marie Kondo story after helping my dad move from his house to assisted living, where I was like, okay, here's our three piles, like throw away, goodwill, and keep. But my dad had this mythical fourth <laughs> category that was things that are too good to give to goodwill. And I was like, so, so what do we do with them? Like, and I tried to say, I love the thrift store. Somebody will go there and be so happy to find this. But yeah, that, that was hard. We finally put it in a storage 
place. And the storage place actually said to me, if you don't pay rent for two months, we will auction everything off. I was like, that would be fantastic. Can we go straight to that? So, so yeah, my dad was always provided a lot of material. I want to ask about perspective because like in Twist and Shout, it was second person, I believe, and, and Turn Back, Turn Back was third person. But then, you know, also Cobra was William's perspective. And I've always thought it would be difficult to write from a man's perspective if I were a woman. Um, and actually, that I felt like that the woman in that story was me <laughs> trying to declutter and having my husband have the exact same reactions. But you just you've shown me what he's thinking when I organize his sock drawer. So how do you decide who gets to tell the story and from what vantage point? Usually it comes to me very quickly when something happens and I start building a story outward from that. Usually I know who the main character is going to be. Like in the the first story in the collection happened, came to us courtesy of my son's road test. And I took him to the DMV and I was really like hyped. I was so nervous for him, even though he wasn't nervous for himself, but I knew he wanted this. So, and I think that writers write as a way to process the world and as a way to process intense emotions. So I'm sitting there and I saw that one of the driving examiners was a woman, wasn't the one that he got in the end, but, and then because like part of my brain is always thinking about true crime, it occurred to me that Ted Bundy had had a driver's license and that, you know, maybe it was even a woman who gave him the driver's test. And if you know anything about Ted Bundy, it was like he was always abducting people in his car. So like some woman got in the car with him to give him a road test. I mean, some driving examiner, maybe it wasn't a woman. And I think I was so sort of up with nerves about my son that while he was off on the road test, I just made notes on the back of the envelope and I knew so much about the story already. Although I'm not a fan of the aging process in general, but like the older you get, the more stories you have. And when I was in college, one of my friend's dads came through town and he looked like took all of us out for lunch. And during the lunch, he asked if we were all on the pill. And it was the creepiest thing that ever happened. For some reason, I thought of that. And I was like, oh, I couldn't put this in the story. I finally have a place to make that work. But when I was planning that story so rapidly, I was like, oh, it's going to be from the woman driving examiner's point of view. And I wrote it before... Roe v. Wade was overturned. So I like accidentally wrote a politically relevant story, which is the only way I could ever do it. I want to ask, though, about another story, Games and Rituals. That's the title story. It has a unique structure and it also has a Kansas connection and we're in Wichita. So can Mm -hmm. you talk to me about the structure of that story and how you decide to use its title for the collection's title? Well, Um, I actually wrote that story when I was in graduate school, when I was 22, and we found it when we moved, and my husband read it, and he said he loved it, 
And he said it, he wanted it to be in the new collection and he wanted it to be the title of the new collection. And like, nobody ever likes my titles. So I'm like, maybe they'll like his. And then everybody <laughs> did. So, um, but it was funny because the original story, like people were calling each other and leaving messages on voice on answering machines. And, you know, there was all this stuff about like checking the mailbox and my editor, Jenny read it and was like, this almost sounds like it takes place in the nineties. I was like, it takes place in the eighties. <laughs> I was like really happy. So I sort of updated it to the current day because otherwise I thought it would really stick out. But when I wrote that story, I had just moved to New York from Kansas and it was a big adjustment and a lot of culture shock. And my boyfriend did not move with me the way that the narrator's boyfriend does, but we were still in a relationship and he was a bartender and it was really hard to be in the long distance relationship with somebody who's like out late every night. And she sort of defines these games that they play and that gave the story its structure. I wrote that when I was a very young writer and I think I needed that structure to make the story happen. But I lived in New York from the age of like 21 to 29. And I don't know whether those are super intense years wherever you are, because that's the age you are. But to live in New York was really sort of amazing. But then I always, I felt going to school in Kansas was like the best thing that anybody could ever do. So maybe I'm just happy wherever I live. <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a favorite story in the collection? Um, I really like Damascus, the story about the mother who worries that her son is as like wild a teenager as she was. And um, when I was in high school, I would come home from drinking at parties and my parents' room was right at the top of the stairs. So I would go in and they'd be in bed reading and I'd stand at the foot of the bed and like basically do stand up for like 30 <laughs> minutes. And my parents never thought this was anything but like spontaneous socialization. Like they never figured out that I was really buzzed. And then during the pandemic, one of my sons worked at supermarket and he came home one night and he was just like, his face was flushed. He really looked happy. And I was like, he loves his job. He is high on life. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I've become my mother. Um, and so I sort of I had the idea for that story and I was outlining it, but I didn't know where it was going to go. And then another day when we were another intense day when we were driving my son to college, it suddenly occurred to me, like, what if the mother does drugs and not the son? And so I had to like pull out my phone and start making notes on it. And that was how I finished the story. And um, I really, I, I like the mother son relationship in that story. And I like the grandmother and I like, I really like the relationship with the ex-husband. Yeah, that's maybe my favorite. What are you working on now? Um, I am writing a novel and I don't want to say too much about it. It has a lot of people making bad decisions, and some of them are teenagers. Well, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that good enough? Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything that you want to talk about that I haven't asked? 
Oh, let me see. Um, oh, well, I think that why I had a hard time writing during lockdown is because I didn't have like random conversations with people that even if I don't write on them, that was usually something that like inspires me. Like shortly before the pandemic, I flew to Michigan and I sat next to this elderly man and he was in the aisle seat and he asked me if I could climb over him to my seat. So I did because I assumed he had some sort of mobility issues. <laughs> and then he got up like like two times. And I was like, I just gave this man a lap dance. <laughs> um, and I was like, so, so happy with that. And also earlier this year, my sons and I were walking the dogs through the woods and there was a whole running team and they were sort of passing us individually and they had the same shirt and shorts on and each one I was like, hello, because we just moved here. And then my sons pointed out it was the same man running on a <laughs> short loop. And I was just like, you know, I'm not as sharp as I was pre-pandemic. I'm just not. There's no going back. Well, the book is Games and Rituals. Catherine Heine, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure entirely. Okay. Why do you look so much younger than me? <laughs> that was Catherine Heine, author of the book Games and Rituals, which was published by Knopf. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.